Hello everyone, I'm here with Steve Keller. Steve, welcome to the Ward family. Well, thank you. Steve, to get us started here, uh, where did life begin for you? Where did you grow up? Well, I was born in St. Louis, Missouri, 1947. Long time ago, 76 years ago. But it doesn't seem that life has gone by very quickly for me. And I am the first one to tell younger people this. I was born at the beginning of seven decades of economic expansion. For me, it was easy getting through school. Yeah, I studied and did homework and so forth, but it was easy to get jobs. It was easy to get through school, so to speak. I mean, I studied hard. I was not the smartest kid in the class, but I always studied hard. But it was easy to, you know, get through college, job, easy to get married, buy a home, and that's not the case any longer. This expansion is seeming to tilt a little bit, but I, uh, so I'm grateful for that, and I recognize that I've been very blessed in my life to have had a good life, and uh, we just came back from the Philippines, and a question I always ask people, do you ever remember, ever in your life, and I'll ask you this, going to bed hungry because there was nothing to eat in your house? Do you ever remember that? I've been very fortunate in that regard, no. We all have. No one's ever said that here, but in the Philippines, most families, just poor families, they have one meal a day. It's a pile of rice with a couple of little pieces of meat. We've just got plentiful. We're always worried we're going to eat too much and we're going to get chubby. Most of the world isn't that way, so we're very blessed and gifted to live where we do. And I know everybody says, oh, we got all these problems. Well, we do. Politics, we could talk for hours about politics. I don't care what your liberal, conservative bent is, uh, still, it's the best place in the world to live. Yeah. So you've seen a lot over a long period of time now. I so have seen a lot. In those early days, as you were growing up, what was that like? So you were there in St. Louis. I was in St. Louis till uh -huh. I was about six years old. My father finished his residency and we moved to Salt Lake City. He was a surgeon and uh, we had a good life. We, we lived at the top of South Temple. You go all the way to the end of South Temple, it ends at 14th East. And our house was on 14th East in South Temple. As a matter of fact, our state conferences were in the assembly hall on Temple Square. So it was a good life. Uh, we moved to Salt Lake. I don't have a lot of memories of St. Louis other than I remember seeing boats on the Mississippi River, paddle boats, and, uh, but I, I don't remember too much about that. But then in Salt Lake, we were blessed in that we were only three blocks from the University of Utah. When it came time when I was five years old, I had to begin kindergarten. Where did I go? I went to Stewart School, which was a training school, and it was part of the University of Utah teaching department. So occasionally we would have student teachers come in and teach us and line the classroom and take notes of what we were taught. But it was just a great education, fun time. We used all of the university's swimming pools and all of the other things at the university. And then I finished elementary school, so I went K through nine at Stewart uh, Elementary School and Middle School, and then I 
went to East High School, which was on 13th East. I was on 14th East. It was on 13th East and 6th South. Wonderful years there in high school. Had a lot of fun. Played some sports and uh, it was just, you know, a good time. It was a yeah. good time to be alive. We just don't have the troubles and concerns that we have now, post-war and all that. And as you were growing up, like, how would have other people described you as a kid? You mentioned earlier you were maybe a good student, but not the best student. Yeah. But what were those growing up years like for you personally? I always did a lot of homework. Whereas I, I had a lot of friends that never had to do any homework. They got A's on all their tests. And that was not me. I always studied and studied hard very early on, right up through college. I had to study. I mean, I was not the smartest kid in the class. I wasn't in any any grade, but I worked hard. And you were a member of the church growing up? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and as you think back on those earlier years, those kind of growing up years, were there any particular experiences that stand out in your memory that were formative in terms of building a testimony early in life? Well, sure. Early on, I've got a list somewhere that were I think four apostles that lived in our ward uh, as between elementary school and high school when I graduated from the university. We had two apostles living there and several of the 70. It was, it was a nice place to grow up as far as the church is concerned. Wonderful bishops. We just, Federal Heights Ward, we met in a building that was built very early on, before the 1900s on University Avenue, right across the street from uh, the University of Utah. And then we finally, in 1965, about the time I graduated from high school, we built a new Federal Heights Ward. And it was, the governor's mansion was here, and our ward was right there. It was a very nice place to be. And so we always had the governor in our ward. And most of them were members of the church, but they didn't come too often. But they'd ask them to speak on Mother's Day or something, and they'd come over and give a talk. And I was a junior home teaching companion uh, with a couple of men who used to go home teaching at the governor's <laughs> house. So, yeah, it was, it was fun when we grew up, and uh, it was kind of carefree, wonderful time. You know, there were so many kids in the neighborhood. Everybody had six, seven kids, and we, there were two parks close to where we lived. And in the summer, we'd just all meet at the park, you know, six or eight of us, and we'd figure out, hey, let's go for a hike today, or let's do this, let's go play basketball. We'd figure out something to do. We were all just good friends, and there were tons of kids, and we were all in the streets after school and all summer long. And I'm curious, after these high school years, did you end up staying there in Utah in terms of college, or did you go somewhere of course, else? Of course. I uh, applied to and got into the University of Utah. So I went K through 9 at the University of Utah, so to speak. Went to East High School, about a mile and a half away, and uh, then I came right back and only applied to the University of Utah. And got in there and uh, graduated in biology. There was a period there with missions and there, I think there were 16 priests in our ward. And the bishop came into priest corn one day and he said, 
unfortunately, many of you are not going to be able to serve missions. And the reason being is that the Vietnam War was going on, and if you were not LDS, not going to college, and not serving a mission, you were drafted. So they, they were getting wounded and coming home, uh, some of them in body bags. But it was all non-LDS, because if you were LDS, more than likely you were going to college, and, it, and if you weren't going to college, you had a ministerial deferment, and so that's the way it worked. But there were so many people that were not LDS going to Vietnam and coming home injured or dead, that the church agreed with the draft board that they would limit the number of LDS missionaries from coming from Salt Lake City. So I registered, I was turning 20, and I was registering for my second year of college, thinking I wouldn't get to serve a mission. I, I felt kind of bad about that, but I'd never had a mission experience, so I didn't know really what I was missing, and so I didn't really know what I was missing, and so I started my second year of college, and I, I remember I was in the Naval Science Building, and it was a calculus class taught, taught on the second floor. And I came out of the building after the class and said, hey, your mother said you need to go home right now. She, she needs to talk to you. I thought, oh, something happened with that. I was thinking something terrible happened. So I hurried home, and she said, Jay Johnson, the second counselor of the bishopric, would like to talk to you. I called him up. He said, could, could you come to my office right now? And I did. I went right down there, and he said, would you serve a mission if you had the opportunity to? And I said, sure. I think so. And he said, well, would you be ready to go in three days? <laughs> And I said, well, how much time do I have to tell you? And he said, well, I need to go in three hours. So I went up the canyon, and I driving up there, I knew I was going to go on a mission. But I went off in the woods up by Immigration Canyon and uh, kneeled down, and I prayed, and I knew I was going to. So I came back, and I told him yes. Three days later, I found myself in the mission home across the street from the Salt Lake Temple. It's where the conference center is now. And I couldn't believe it. It just happened so quickly. It was just unbelievable. But I found myself there, and uh, it was just a marvelous experience there. So you served your mission in Salt Lake itself? No. Oh. I went to the mission home. Oh, yeah. Everybody in the United States, they all came to Salt Lake City. You had to go to the mission home there. Oh, that was like the equivalent of the MTC yeah, now. Yeah, then, then okay. now that's... Okay, I'll finish that. Oh. So everybody went in there. It was cram-packed. Hundreds every week would come there, receive their endowment. They didn't, you didn't receive your endowment before. You came there and you did two back-to-back -back live sessions in the Salt Lake Temple, and then you would go on your mission or you'd go to the MTC, which was the language training mission. Uh, LTM, they called it back then, language training mission, and that was in Provo. So I spent a week there in the mission home, and then I went to Provo, to the MTC. I was assigned to the North German mission, and I learned German there. And uh, that was uh, 12 weeks, and so I was there for 12 weeks, and then uh, off to Germany, and there were some of us, and we flew to New York, and then got to New York and flew to Munich, and then they all went right there in that area, 
And, but, and I was the only one on the plane, the only missionary on the plane that went to Northern Germany. I was picked up there and I had a marvelous mission. Worked hard, didn't baptize many people, but uh, really changed me. And that's where I really became spiritually in tune with things. My mission did more for that than anything. Although if I could back it up a little bit, when I was just young, maybe 10, 12 years old in the summer, Nobody had lawn sprinkling things in the garage that you could program. You just had to have a neighboring kid come down every other day and turn on valve one for 20 minutes, valve two for, for eight minutes, and you know. So I watered people's lawns in the summer. And, and I remember reading, I'd sit waiting to change the valves and I'd read the Book of Mormon. And it really struck me then. I was just 10 or 12 years old and I'd been through primary and I always enjoyed primary. I always enjoyed church, but boy, I was hit hard at, at a fairly young age knowing that the Book of Mormon was true. Absolutely. So that's when it all started and then I served a mission and I, I worked really hard. I was, did exactly what they told me to do. I followed with exactness what we were told to do. Had some marvelous companions, uh, one of which became a uh, General Authority 70. <laughs> I saw him the other day, Greg Schweitzer, and he, uh, we saw him and his wife, and he said, you know, I am so grateful because you, I was a slob, and you, you taught me to be neat. And I guess I always was kind of a neat kid. I remember getting up in the morning, making my bed, and, and I'd fold my PJs and put them under my pillow and put my pillow over the top of my PJs. I always made my bed in the morning. I had a clean room. What Greg Schweitzer was different than his wife said, oh, I'm so grateful for what you taught him because he's neat now too. I'm curious just from the, yeah. you were talking about the spiritual growth that you had during yeah. your mission. So yeah. if you contrast where you were spiritually at the beginning of the mission with respect to the end, what would you say were the most important differences? Just uh, being obedient, living the law, being very obedient to all of the commandments and working hard. Oh, I just worked so hard doing exactly what we were told to do. Marvelous companions. I had another one, Randall Burke. He was uh, became a renowned physician, a gastroenterologist, and he's known throughout the world now. And I, I'm still in touch with him. We talk quite a bit, and uh, he was a wonderful companion that I had too. Actually, I think Elder Schweitzer was my first junior companion, <laughs> and uh, and I ended up being the best man at his wedding. So it's all good. I had, and my mission was just a marvelous experience. It wasn't easy, but uh, it was a wonderful experience. And then uh, came home, got back in school, finished the University of Utah, applied to dental school, much to my father's chagrin. But my father was never home, poor guy. I mean, he left early in the morning, did rounds at the hospital, and saw patients all day. Came home for dinner, had dinner, they went back to the hospital, looking rounds at night, and he's just never home. And I kind of liked that eight to five, and so I became a dentist. I was accepted at Georgetown University Dental School, one of the premier schools in the country. I'd say USC and Georgetown, top two schools, East Coast and West Coast at the same time. Went to Georgetown and had a wonderful experience there. I had a full scholarship with the Navy. They paid every penny of my 
tuition, books, fees, everything's plus they paid my living expenses. Plus, I got a job working in the U.S. Senate. <laughs> I had a patronage job and I worked there. And in the basement of the uh, Russell office building, they had, you'd go take, I ran elevators and, and they were always a push button. And if you heard beep, 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 instead of just one long beep, it meant a senator wants to be picked up and you had to, wherever you were, you had to go pick him up and take him right down to wherever he wanted to go. Especially when they were in session because if they, they needed to hustle down to go over and vote. And so the senators always took precedence. I met a lot of boys, some of them were just so kind and nice to me. I just couldn't believe it. One in particular was a senator from Alaska who was a native of Hawaii. He didn't have a right arm and I found out why. He was one of those, uh, the Japanese unit that wanted to fight after, you know, the Hawaiians. It was Hawaiian-Japanese and Pearl Harbor was bombed. And people had a dislike for Japanese and they, they were interned and that really wasn't right in hindsight. It's easy to criticize that, but at the time you kind of see where it was coming from. But Senator Inouye, from, he was then living in Alaska, but he was one of those soldiers who lost his right arm mm -hmm. fighting for this country in Italy. And if memory serves, what brought you out to California was through the, na through the dental yeah, connection, I, but I, with the Navy yeah, in particular? I, yes, I was, went to school at Georgetown and finished dental school, and I got sent to a place called Moffett Field Naval Air Station. Did a little time out of Alameda on an aircraft carrier, but it was mainly at Moffett Field. And I, I did my time, served my time there, which was fortunate. Usually you get a transfer every two years, and I didn't. And they, were, they said they were running out of money and couldn't afford it, so I, I guess I hit it right. And, this, and one of the dentists that was a Palo Alto dental group was in the Navy Reserves, and he uh, had me go to lunch with 11 other dentists and I did join the Palo Alto Dental Group and when I finished the Navy in 1980 and I practiced there until a couple of years ago when we served a mission. And at what point did you and Diane meet? Diane and I have been married for uh, 25 years now. We have four children, 11 grandchildren and one great grandchild. And we just absolutely love our kids to death, and we love uh, our grandchildren. <laughs> How did the two of you meet? My home teacher was uh, her brother-in-law, and that's how we met, is through her sister and brother-in-law. And uh, we're a blended family, four, four kids between us, and it's just been wonderful. We've just had a wonderful life together. We've been healthy and strong, and uh, I worked hard. I was president of Palo Alto Dental Group and Palo Alto Dental Research for almost 30 years. I ran that group. And when I got there, there were 11 dentists. When I left, there were seven out of seven, six. And all the specialists left, and. Uh, but we ran into a lot of specialists too. But it was just a wonderful experience. I spent a career looking at a tooth saying, how can I fix this tooth with the least amount of drilling where it's going to save the patient the maximum amount of money? That's honestly how I practice dentistry. 
very conservatively, and uh, and I never paid any attention to money. I never got rich, but I did quite well. You know, yeah. lived here, bought a home, and uh, Diane and I are both very healthy. And it's it's been been a good good ride, and then had a lot of callings in the church. Been never an elders quorum president. Been a couple of bishoprics. Been a bishop. Worked with addiction issues. Been in the primary for a stint after I was bishop, and uh, and then I spent uh, almost six years with Elder Pimentel, executive secretary to the Area 70. And the Area 70 has 22 stakes in the North Bay and the South Bay, and I. <laughs> Those were hard years because I went to work all day and every night I had to do paperwork and charts and everything. Most recently, I saw somebody was dealing with Just Serve. I had to keep very detailed records on every stake in California and Hawaii for about three years. I mean, it was just a lot of work. And then he was released, and then I was soon after released, and then. And we were quickly, we, we decided we wanted to serve in the temple. We served a shift in the temple Tuesday evenings, and then, uh, and then I was called to be a recorder in the temple. So we did that double shift. Diane went with me every time I had, I had to be there, and then we went together for our shift on Tuesday evening. There were times when we would lock the temple up, turn the lights out about quarter to 11 at night, stay in the residence uh, place at the temple and had to be back in at 4.30 in the morning, wow. all over it. Open it up, turn the lights on, and let everybody in. And you mentioned, that, you know, becoming a parent and now a grandparent, and I guess even a great-grandparent yes. uh, to one child. You know, sometimes when people become a father themselves, they maybe think a little bit differently about their relationship with their Heavenly Father or so sure. on. So, you know, as you've now built this family with Diane, like, how would you say that your relationship with your own Heavenly Father has changed or oh, how you've well, thought about or approached I, that I, relationship? I've always looked at that, and, and when we were in the mission field, I used to always talk about that. Uh, you know, Heavenly Father loves us just like you're earthly parents love you, and just like you'll love your own children someday. Uh, that love that we have for family is, it, 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 it's, it's a representation of God's great love for us. I mean, everything in this world points to there is a God, that it's all orchestrated and carefully watched over. Uh, when you think about it, all these planets spinning around uh, and the second law of thermodynamics, I believe, is everything's trying to reach maximum randomness. Everything wants to go boo! It wants to just uh, rampy random and yet this Earth is in this rotation around the sun and uh, we have a one loop day every four years to kind of make up the difference and I've heard I think about every 180 years we have to make up another four seconds or something how can anything be that exact without something watching over us I mean everything points to the fact that there is a God in heaven 
and this is all orchestrated, and you think otherwise is just not right. It just isn't right. You just got back from this mission in the Philippines. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, you've talked a lot about that at church. I'm just curious now that you are back. You know, you, it sounds like you just got called to addiction recovery, but yes. what are some of the other things that that you now have? going on in your life for, you know, well, what, what does the future we, have in store we, here? We've been home just for a few weeks and, and we're also teaching Temple Prep. And we went to our first addiction recovery meeting last night, but that's my third time around. I, I did that in the Navy. I, I did it once when I was released as bishop and now again now. So it's nothing that we're not going to, we're not going to it. So. We understand it, and willing to call wherever we're, we're called to serve. Can't say that I was thrilled with the calling at first, but after last night we were there, just getting to know the people and their struggles. If I can help them just a tiny, tiny bit, I'm just glad to be there. Mm -hmm. And I'm guessing that you've probably been catching up with family after being away for so trying long to, and trying, trying to, to reconnect. We've, we've still got to connect with the Boston family. They're going back to school. The kids are soon, going to be soon back in school. And that's a good time to go because they're not trying to travel somewhere else. And then we, so we have two grandchildren in Boston. We've got family in Utah with four kids, Chris and Wendy. And we've got one married granddaughter, and then we've got uh, two other that Brendan and, and they're up in Brigham City. They're just wonderful kids. Uh, she's finished her master's in accounting, brilliant, and he's he's just uh, halfway through a master's in uh, aeronautical engineering. The church, the First Presidency, is currently staying very busy with missionary work and calling more missionaries all the time. And uh, every week or every couple of days, there's one apostle and one in 70. They sit down and a picture pops up on the screen and they have the bio below it. And they ask themselves, you know, Elder, Bueller, where would Heavenly Father have you served? And they, they're inspired and they come up with a mission and that's where that elder is going. And we're, this church is growing rapidly in missionary work and building temple, temples. And those to me, are the, gathering Israel and building temples are a hallmark of the second coming. Is the second coming going to be in two years, five years, or ten years? Could be 50 years out. I don't know. Surprise me if it went more than 50 years, but who knows? I, I just don't know. Certainly nothing's going to happen before the Salt Lake Temple's finished. And they seem to keep adding one or two years. You know, it's supposed to be done two years ago. Now they're saying at the earliest it'll be done 2027 or something like that. Solid Temple doesn't have anything we need to discuss that with the second coming of the Savior, but we're living in trying times and we need the gospel and people need the gospel now more than ever. And we need to kind of gather our families in and gather them around this wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ restored in our day. There's certainly a lot of work that we need to do, both from a missionary standpoint and in the temple. So, you know, for those who are able and, you know, at a point in their lives that they're able to do that, you know, hopefully they'll 
follow your and Diane's example and you know pursue that. The last thing I'll say is in Utah, within the last 30 days, they've gone into every state and they said, we would like you, every senior couple, when you retire, we want you to serve an 18-month mission and we want you to also serve a church service mission, which means you serve from home. There's a multitude of things where you can serve the church and be at home, but they'd also like you to go out and serve a full-time mission. As, as we grow past 85,000, there could be, in a few years, there could be 120,000 missionaries and they need senior couple support in the worst way. The church is the biggest purchaser of airline tickets of any organization in the world. Think about that. <laughs> this church is on the road. So lots of different opportunities to serve. Like I said, we're just super excited to have you guys back. And, and for those people who have known you for a long time, you know, hopefully they've learned something new in this conversation. And for people who are maybe newer to the ward, um, certainly come say hi to, to Steve and Diane there. They're well worth getting to know. So thanks again for doing this. Thank you.